0: Welcome to the Kingdom Convos podcast. This is your host, Diane Wong, and I believe that the best story to share is your story. Featuring church and industry leaders, practitioners, and other guest speakers, our goal is to make conversation on God's kingdom through storytelling. I pray that these conversations would ripple out into your local communities, organizations, and beyond. welcome back to the kingdom combos podcast we are on season three where we talk all things racism diversity and really just what the church has to do with it this is something that i've been wanting to do for a while now since um everything was just blowing up on social media and i'm just so stoked to continue the conversation and for all of you to hear from some pretty great people and today i have my friend crystal here with me and we are kicking off this season talking Um, about racism, just diving straight into it and just um, being very real because racism is very real and it needs to be addressed directly by the church. So yeah, to give you guys a bit of a background on how I know Crystal, we went to Bible College together and she was actually my freshman year RA and since then we've just become really great friends. So Crystal, without further ado, would you just um, share with us a, just a bird eyes view on your experience with racism and I know there's a lot to it. I'm sure you've experienced a lot and I'm just really grateful that you're here to talk about it. So, the ball's in your court.
1: All right. Well, yeah, I'm excited to be here and be able to like shed a light on this topic that we only really seem to care about when it's trending. Um, but to talk about the fact that Black Lives Matter while we're still alive, right? So um, as for myself, I am Afro-Latina. I am Black and Mexican. Um, And my father was a Black Panther. So he was a freedom fighter and instilled a lot of those values in me. He always would tell me, like, you have a good angle in life. I guess what I can say is He told me, you know, when you're around the black community and they say something about Latinos, you can speak up. And when you're around Latinos and they say something anti-black, you can speak up Um, and be like a fly on the wall for people who don't see you as either or both. Um, So it's something that always stuck with me and I didn't realize until recently is that, yes, I am half Mexican, but my family is white passing um, and so I'm going to use a lot of terms that if you are listening, please Google it. <laughs> because if I were to define every term, we would that would literally be the pod, would just be me defining terms. So anyway, um, yeah, so my Mexican family was white passing. They benefited from different aspects of white privilege. Um, and so part of that was me really experiencing experiencing racism within my own home um and really being treated differently than you know other cousins that are my age um and so i felt like out of place but i didn't have the language for it and i had like a cousin who's way older than me, and he's black second too. And whenever he would try and bring up racism in the home, they would gaslight him and they would tell him like, that's not what it is. We're not being racist. Where do you get over it? So I just learned from that and I was like, okay, well, they're not being racist, right? So if I feel uncomfortable in my own house, um, it's probably not racism totally not true. And it wasn't until like as I got older that in my own home I started experiencing more equity um, and being treated somewhat fairly. <laughs> um, anyway, I grew up in the white church. And if you were to ask me growing up, like, do you go to a white church, do you go to a black church? I would tell you, like, it's neither. Like, everybody's welcome there. But somehow I always knew that, like, every Christmas performance, every Easter play, whatever, when my mom would say, you should invite your dad I immediately knew not to because I knew he would feel uncomfortable there. And as I got older and really detached from that bubble that I grew up in, I started seeing like, yo, that's racist Um, from people's like social media posts um, and being distanced from them. I was able to see their bias, um, particularly white bias, which is the dominant culture here in the States. So, Um, yeah, that's a snapshot of my personal experience with racism.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. And it's just crazy that you're using the words church and racism in the same sentence. Um, as a believer, how do you feel like racism has impacted your view of yourself in Christ? Because from what it sounds like you were experiencing it, but you didn't really have the verbiage to put around it. So, um, Looking back now, how do you feel like it's impacted you?
1: Yeah, so I i mean, it's so mind-blowing to look back on, like, who I was in high school versus who I am post-grad. Um, I was very, like, entranced by the whole, like, white evangelical movement, right? Like, um, all these amazing worship nights with – all of the amazing things that come with it the idea of being a church planter and not realizing like evangelism included um, is a model of colonialism and colonization (laughs) Um, and just a really dark history of coming in to a culture and claiming the space because wherever we set our feet right as it says in joshua the land is ours is has been weaponized and is a tool that phrase is a tool to enter people's spaces and make it predominantly white like let's just be honest eurocentric um and so i was all about evangelism in high school right and when i was being like quote unquote trained in evangelism i was told you know um we're all one in christ right and there was just this kind of vague idea of leaving our cultures behind so we can come under the umbrella of jesus well then why is it like still culturally centered around like this white dominance and this white presence um you know from contemporary christian music which has is very white centric um to the way scripture is read and so I never wrestled with that I just thought I was like winning people for Jesus um but even like my desire to be a church planter has been shaped by this because I'm realizing like I can't just go to any neighborhood even within Los Angeles and just decide to church plant like right now we live in Boyle Heights I can't church plant here because I don't speak Spanish fluently. And that is crucial to this neighborhood, to connecting with my community. Um, And my voice as a pastor will only go so far. Um, And so realizing and recognizing a lot of what I have been taught in regards to Jesus and coming under the umbrella of Jesus and becoming, quote unquote, one as Christians, I left my culture at the door. You know, and it's a colonized faith. And so what I've been doing lately is asking God, Lord, how can I decolonize my faith? Like, how can I get away from this one culture and experience you from my culture's perspective? And one of those earth-shattering moments was when I was reading James Cone, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, and how Jesus' experience is akin to the experience of a Black man. And just being persecuted by the state, both innocent, both valuable, but treated without value, both worthy, but treated worthless, um, it opened my eyes, you know. And I think, you know, when people say, as, you know, you've mentioned, break my heart for what breaks yours, Lord, and then in the same breath, they will say things like, Um, yeah, but that wasn't racist, or are you sure that's racist? Um, It kind of is contradictory. Actually, it's very contradictory because it should be, that's a heartbreaking um, experience, full stop, right? Like, I cannot believe that this is still happening, but at the same time, why is it so shocking to me? You know, like, why is it so shocking to me that people experience racism? Um, So, yeah, that's what I've experienced and how just being a Christian has shaped me and understanding, like, the convergence between my own culture and what it means to be a follower of Jesus.
0: Could you talk to me a little bit more about colonization because I feel like you've been talking about it a little bit more, and I already feel some people getting offended at that or just not understanding mm-hmm. fully, so could you just talk a little bit more about that?
1: yeah, so yeah it's it's like when we bring up the term "white privilege," it becomes like a very triggering term um but we have to look at history and not continue to repeat it. I remember um, a Messianic Jew once shared with a lecture hall um, when I was studying at Hillsong and they they said, whenever I see a cross, like I shudder because it reminds me of the, um, the Crusades and how Christians in the name of religion came and destroyed um the homes of of Jewish people and you know just the war that ensued around that in the name of Jesus um I mean we see it today right like so much is brushed over within the name of Jesus like as if Jesus came to earth with an American flag on his back like hello he did not (laughs) um And so when I say colonization, I mean, when you're only allowing theologians of one race, one perspective, one gender to interpret scripture and regard them as like the highest, um, most educated people in this subject and field, you're saying something. You're saying they are supreme. You're saying they are better than. You're saying they're more credible than their Black counterparts, their Latino counterparts, their female counterparts, you are upholding white supremacy and idealizing the voices of white folks over the voices of Black and Latino folks. I don't discredit any theologian who is white, but I think what becomes a problem is when they are seen as the more credible voice. That is problematic and that is weaponizing scripture when it is um, to the detriment of marginalized communities. When you come into a community um, of a major city like Los Angeles, which my city experienced with the onslaught of all of these idealistic megachurches, when you come in and you say we have a better way... um, There's literally like a grandma who's been praying around her block for a generation, like a generation or two, you know, like she has been here already and you're coming over and you're bulldozing over all of that, just like colonization works, you know, you see native land and all you see is land period and you want to take it. And when you hear phrases like I mentioned, like wherever we set our foot, that is where the Lord is and the land is ours, whatever you want to say. Um, you are reinterpreting that idea of colonization.
0: Yeah, and I feel like we could talk about colonization all night. It's a very controversial, very in-depth topic. So for any listener who is interested in learning more about that, definitely do some more research on it and dig a little bit deeper, look at history. Um, but you've already talked about this a little bit, How do you feel like racism has impacted you personally, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, all of that?
1: Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, like going down this journey of decolonizing my faith has really been about like reclaiming what the healing of Jesus looks like for an Afro-Latina What does it look like for me personally carrying the weight of my ancestors and the generational trauma that comes with um, being a Black woman in America, being a Latina in America? Like All of that um, is part of the conversation of me meeting Jesus. And I've experienced a lot of mental health issues because I feel out of place I don't feel black enough for the black people I don't feel Mexican enough for the Mexican people um and I definitely don't feel represented in the white church um however I didn't ask to be raised in the white church like it's just what it was like and it's all I knew um I think how it's affected me is not feeling good enough you know like when you only see like the model of a good christian family as a good white christian family and you look at like all the skeletons in your family's closet a lot of it due to systemic oppression you question if you're ever going to be able to quote unquote attain a good christian life um when you don't hear Pastors that look like you preaching from the pulpit, you wonder if your voice holds enough weight. Um, when you don't hear your experiences talked about from the pulpit, you wonder if they're valid. You wonder if they're included in the kingdom. You ask, what is the point of the kingdom? And and you know, like there's a song by Tupac, and it's called "Does Heaven Have a Ghetto?" or something to that effect. <laughs> um, I can't remember the exact title, but it just really resonated with me because I was like, yo, like, all he's saying is, is there a place for me in this heaven? Because I look around and I don't see someone who looks like me, you know. So you do feel very, like, displaced um, growing up in the white church as a person of color
0: you talked a little bit about having mental health issues because of the racism that you um, faced and a lot of mental health, I feel like has to do with the narratives that you um, kind of tell yourself, but just the narratives that like are also based on what you experienced. Right. So what are some lies that you feel like racism has caused you to believe?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think some of the lies that I've sat with, um, really are centered around like being good enough so specifically like so okay backing up here when we hear about systemic oppression we hear about like black people not getting enough um, job opportunities right because they are perceived a certain way in a job interview etc etc so for me post-grad I'm thinking like oh, I'm totally qualified for this job. Um, And I go into the interview and it's very clear. They've already made the decision about who's going to be um, a qualified candidate and it is not me. Um, And a lot of it is due to who you know, like nepotism, whose last name is the most important in this denomination and so on anyway, that's fine. You know, like that's going to happen when you just don't get work. And as a Black woman, like you have to sit with the idea that people are going to judge you differently. And unfortunately, it's going to affect your career. But sitting with that and reconciling the idea that I'm experiencing that within the church world has led me to feeling like, what is my calling then? Like all these doors keep getting shut on me because this system still upholds white supremacy. Um, and, you know, I look around at the people who are hi- end up getting hired and they are white or they are white passing Latinos. And it's problematic because you are sending a message to the world that this shade is acceptable. And this, the way that we speak is acceptable. The way you speak is too different. You are clearly the other here even volunteer leadership positions i've um i have not gotten because i am not blonde um because i don't have colored eyes and i can tell you that with full honesty because like somebody not as qualified as me ended up being a leader and um we had like the same amount of time or she actually last time being at that church and so I saw it right in front of my eyes and it was unbelievable. Diana was like, bro, what? Like, are you serious? Like, this is blatantly racist. <laughs> um, but, you know, dealing with that lie of like, what is my calling then? If the system was clearly meant to uphold, like even the Bible college you went to a hundred years ago, I would not be a student there. What do I do with that? You know, like you are sending a message that, only certain people are called to lead spiritually and be trusted spiritually. And so I really had to break that apart and choose to remember that God is not on the side of the oppressor. God sees the marginalized. And if I'm experiencing oppression um, or the effects of generational oppression, God sees that. God cares. Um And God is wanting to partner with me and hold me when I feel like I cannot succeed in life because of a system of oppression.
0: And if racism and everything that you see on social media doesn't anger you, this is the kingdom of God at hand. Um, If you're listening to what Crystal is really saying, that's her calling. We all have callings and the fact that racism would become a barrier to building the kingdom of God, that should anger you if not anything else. Um, But backing up a little bit to listeners who might not even believe that racism is a problem for them personally um, as the church, why do you think the church should care about racism to begin with?
1: Mm. You know, the the first thing that comes to my mind when you ask that question is like, if only the church cared much as much about the sin of racism as they do the quote-unquote sin of homosexuality, right? Like, there's so much emphasis on certain sin, um, but not enough around the sin of racism because it is a product of evil, you know, and white supremacy specifically is a product of evil. And if you really believe that, then you're not quick to be defensive about it you know, you're more like, okay, this is an issue and this person is saying that they're experiencing it and they're not alone. We need to dive into this because, you know, I wish somebody was able to be that advocate for me being a little brown girl um, and Sunday school in a predominantly white church and ask themselves, is this really like, a representation for her? Like, is she going to feel included here? I wish somebody had thought about that for the sake of a little girl in Sunday school, you know, like honestly asking yourself the question, is this space inclusive? Um, have they experienced any racial slurs in this space? Because our churches are sacred, right? Like they're sacred spaces and people should feel safe. If anything else, anyone should feel safe because of the presence of God. Um, and you know so many people ask like why is racism still ongoing so many people question if it even exists regardless the church should be on the front line of it because we're here to stand on the side of justice and i see so many like influential christians posting the scripture like let justice roll on like a river um out of amos 5. so amos five twenty four but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. The following scripture says, Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings for forty years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. Amos was not a happy-go-lucky prophet. I don't know why people keep quoting that because you have to reconcile with the next three verses that basically say, put a halt to all of your shows. Stop giving me these performative um, sacrifices and take up the mantle of justice. If it means that it's all you talk about instead of promoting your next book, then that's what it means until there's justice in all spaces for all people we will not stop talking about it you know and i think a lot of christians are quick to take that verse out and say this applies to us to be performative but then the next few verses oh no no that was for them like god was telling them to stop with their worship and their praises until justice rolls on like a river Um, when in fact it is all applicable to what we're seeing today god is not happy with this and um and we would be remiss to believe otherwise
0: yeah that's really good crystal and you said that racism is a sin and i already know that some people listening are like is it a sin so could you talk a little bit more about that
1: Yeah, so if we look at like how race even began, um, it was created to justify like the supremacy of an Anglo-Saxon lineage and heritage to promote the idea that basically white people are better. So the lighter your skin, the more Eurocentric your descent, the um, smarter you are, the better looking you are. And whenever we see that idea perpetuated in ads and um, shows that we watch whatever we're seeing white supremacy perpetuated and it centers around this 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 made up idea and construct of race um so that being said the idea that any one person would be higher than the other um is sinful. You know, it's it's creating this idea of less than or um, robbing people of their worth. And it's, it's not okay, whether it's blatant or not, whether there's a whites only sign above a water fountain or not. Um, you know, we should believe people's stories and not victimize them, not pity them, but hear them and say like, okay, it's real, it's happening, and it's even in our church doors. So how can we learn and unlearn, more importantly, unlearn um, things and move forward?
0: That's really great, Crystal. Thank you. Um, So what do you think is the church's role in the issue of racism? You said before that the church should be at the front lines. So what does that practically look like?
1: Yeah. So one thing I'll start with what we're not to be doing right now is to be saying um, we all need to be one in Christ. Like we all need to just be united, stop being so divisive, bringing up these issues. Um, The reality is division is, is just already present. And when people say that they usually are not saying that they want unity. They're saying that they want false peace they want the conversations to stop and all of us to just gather around and lift up our hands and pray together and it's it's not that simple because you're not dealing with like a personal one-on-one reconciling having these these apologies and these conversations it's not just that it's acknowledging the fact that your staff is all white it's acknowledging the fact that your staff is all related to each other <laughs> It's acknowledging the fact that you came into a black and brown community as a white person and you don't know much about the neighborhood you just know that you have a bible in your hand you know it's taking a good look at leadership of churches um and i don't know that um anybody listening would would be in that status of of um you know having their own staff And so what does it mean for us who are not on staff at churches or leading staff at churches? It means that we continue to say that is not okay. That is not good enough for me. Um, It's not good enough for me that you, after the death of George Floyd, all of a sudden had a black person doing announcements at church. It's not good enough for me that all of a sudden a black person is praying us out at the end of a service. That's not what this is. That's tokenism. That's performative allyship. It's saying, you know, I'm gonna get a few friends together that I usually do a Bible study with, and we're gonna read through um, "I'm Still Here" by Austin Channing Brown, and we're gonna ask ourselves the hard questions. It's saying I'm going to openly talk about this with my kids, and ask them if they've ever noticed that everybody at our church is white, and do you think that the kingdom of heaven looks like that? It's it's those things you know, and continuing to say to our church leaders, that's not good enough for me. I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to need to see like a healing space for BIPOC. POC. Like I'm going to need to see a space for you to stop talking to the white audience and teach them about what racism is. I'm going to need you to actually like create a place for people of color to heal. Like, do you have anything for us, any resources for us to grieve? Um, and heal together because there's so many like major churches that are addressing the issue of racism and explaining it to white people like what racism is Um, but there's not enough creating healing circles for people of color who have been affected by all of this that's going on
0: from what i'm hearing you're basically saying you want the church to just genuinely care and it's I know we're talking about racism right now, but it's not just racism, it's homosexuality, it's a number of things that the church won't talk about that we need to be talking about in our small groups, in our sermons, we need to be talking about these things to let people know that we genuinely care. And I think that you said some things that the church can apply right now if they wanted to, that are helpful, that support and empower minorities. So I guess to illustrate for church leaders and pastors a little bit better, how can the lack of the church's voice and advocacy and racism be damaging to someone?
1: Well, you know, with every question, there's always like kind of a surface answer. Um, and then there's like a deeper systemic response that we could be having. Um, You know, whenever the church goes silent on any systemic issue, let's use education as an example, right? So like clearly the public school system in the states is messed up. The church can partner with schools in various different ways to help that systemic issue. Um, Coincidentally enough, that education system affects people of color. And so in taking on that large issue and partnering with, let's say, schools, you are um, as a byproduct supporting people of color. When you improve the quality of education, you're improving the futures and the lives of these people. So when the church does the opposite and goes silent on issues, we lose an opportunity to bring heaven to earth. And we lose an opportunity to have people really find healing in Jesus and find hope um, because, you know, it's incredibly um, despairing to be a Black person in America right now because of with COVID and um, just the side effects of the movement. It's exhausting. Um, And I shouldn't have to be the voice to explain racism there should be more spaces for people of color within the church you know the fact that we're sitting here having this conversation is hurtful because it's showing that we need to explain this to people um rather than being at a place where we can have a healing conversation where the whole conversation is about ways we're taking care of ourselves um, as people of color, and how we're decolonizing our faith, and what does it look like? And so um, I think it's it's very detrimental to, for the church to be silent on these issues because it it leads to a domino effect of hurt.
0: It's the saying of when you're not a part of the solution, you're a part of the problem, right? And as someone who I believe that my greatest spiritual gift is evangelism, I have a heart for people who don't know Jesus through and through and um, coming from that perspective to think about racism as being something that becomes a barrier to the gospel, I think that is, I mean, damaging to racism is damaging in itself. but it's also damaging to the kingdom of God. We're keeping people from knowing Jesus because, because of what? Skin color. So to me, that's just, honestly, the whole thing about racism is silly. It's damaging. It's real. It's serious. But to me, it's just, man, like as a believer, whether or not, like whatever your position on racism is, it's the kingdom of God. So if, you truly believed in the purpose over your life and the mission that God's called you to and everyone to, then that should be an issue for you. Even if it's not the actual problem of racism, like, come on, that's the mission of God. So if it's not a problem for you, and if it doesn't break your heart and if it doesn't make you righteously angry, you need to check your heart because that is an issue. But anyways, um, Obviously, you've talked a lot about church and how um, some of the practices can be very damaging. Do you have any church hurt from the way that the church has handled the issue of racism in your personal life? And how are you processing through that?
1: Mm, I think, yeah, there's been a lot of harm caused, um, you know, from something as simple as like using Mexicans at the but of a joke and a sermon um, to experiencing internalized racism because I'm looking at my hair going, it's pretty kinky. I should straighten it to be like the other girls at church camp who are getting attention from guys. Um, You know, just that kind of experience of like, this space is not designed with me in mind. I was added to this space and they don't know what to do with me, you know, and having to assimilate. And part of the reason why I like, I guess, speak like I do is because it's been like a morphing of my language over the years um, so that I could be accepted by like the dominant culture, especially within the church, um, to be respected when I speak Um, when I evangelize, when I train other people, you know, um, sounding more white, you know, and losing part of your personality in that, um, it's hard. It's hard to be in a space where you're constantly having to ask yourself, like, am I being perceived as a stereotype right now? And then if I am being perceived as a stereotype, I'm going to make it awkward if I, like, confront it. So I'm not going to confront it and then I'm going to go home and it's going to hurt. So, yeah, I think I've definitely experienced the biggest hurt has just been the result of it all being internalized racism and having to unlearn that and realize, like, my black is beautiful. Me being Afro-Latina is beautiful. And also understanding, like, how did I get here? Like, why do I need to tell myself this at 24 years old? And why wasn't the church there to explicitly affirm that, like saying out loud, black is beautiful, brown folks are beautiful and smart and intelligent and breaking barriers and changing the world. And, you know, that's their God-given gift. Like, why why are people saying that um, within the white church specifically? It's because nobody wants to use, like, the words black or Um, Latino or Asian because it's seen as like a bad word but it's not like when you identify somebody's race you are not being racist by saying like that person was black you're saying you're just identifying the person it becomes an issue when it's used in a derogatory way so um, so yeah just unlearning internalized racism is how I'm processing through the harm as a response of like growing up in predominantly white church
0: yeah i hear you and on behalf of the church um, i am sorry that the image of god in you wasn't affirmed and wasn't encouraged and empowered and um coming from my perspective i feel like i am just starting to process what racism has looked like in my life and i'm going to do a whole solo episode on just my confessions and my experiences at the end of this season. Um, But yeah, internalized racism is a very real thing and it does um, just throw a wrench into the image of God in you and how you perceive yourself. So um, I definitely hear you and I understand you. Um, for someone listening to this podcast right now who might be experiencing any form of racism, how would you encourage them in that?
1: Man, I would just say the kingdom is ours. Not the kingdom is ours too. Like the kingdom is ours, period. Um, you know, you hear all of Jesus' parable, parables about um, going back for the one. Um and all those like all those parables that are similar to that one of like the lost, the forgotten. Um and being uh, by POC in this world, you you are reminded by society that you are the one. And you know, when you only hear that parable told by white folks you don't hear God's heart for you specifically as a person of color. you know like I read that and I go like, "Whoa, well, God, you were there when I was getting teased about my hair, And you care about that specifically. You know, You were there when I was fatherless, and there wasn't someone to have my back when I was dating. You know, like just simple things about the experience of being a person of color that have a huge impact on you, God sees and has not forgotten you. And, man, it's our time to heal. It's our our time to experience healing in Jesus and to feel that fully and to be embraced fully and to be loved fully. And for anybody who's experienced racism within the church you know, oppression has taken enough. And oppression should not take our relationship with Jesus. And it, if, if you need to find a community that's just like you, um, go and find that community with representation and find Jesus together. If it's too painful to be in like a predominantly white-led church, then, then don't. Seek out people that are following Jesus wholeheartedly um, in churches where you feel safe, because you are sacred, you are worthy of every good thing in this world, and we are doing this together.
0: There is so much room for healing. And um, when you were talking, I was reminded of, I don't remember how it goes exactly, but basically, you can't take someone somewhere you've never been, basically, if you don't go through the healing yourself, like you can't walk someone else through that in a healthy, productive way. So, I mean, I really, I'm still in the process of working out what racism is in my life, but I've definitely healed from a lot of different things in other areas of my life. And I've seen how the Lord has used that to help other people walk through the fire and through the storm. And it's the same for racism. If you can just take the time, sit with the Lord, sit with people that you trust, and um, just let yourself feel the emotions, reflect honestly. You can do that same thing for other people, and it's going to be the effect of that is exponential. I believe that it starts with one person, and one person can lead to hundreds of people just um, coming to um, healing through Jesus. So, Yeah. Thank you so much for this conversation, Crystal. I just believe that someone listening to this podcast had to have learned something new from your perspective, from your experiences, your stories. And I just pray that they take that with them and do something with it. (laughs) I don't want it to just stop at this conversation. I want people to truly listen and then let that ripple into their communities. But Yeah, thanks for coming on. This was Why the Church Should Care About Racism with Crystal Quintero. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Kingdom Convos. If you liked our conversation, don't forget to subscribe for similar episodes. You can connect with me by following my social media, and you can find that in the details. Remember that your story is the best story to tell, and use every opportunity today to share yours. Thanks for listening.